How many of you remember that last song? Yeah. This morning, we're kicking off a new musical series. It's entitled Mixtape, the, the Chapel Roswell Mixtape. Now, some of you know what a mixtape is. It's when you would take a collection of various songs and you would kind of put them together on a cassette. Now, we would do it on a CD or a thumb drive or something like that. But you would give it to someone special. I remember I would make a mixtape for a girl that I wanted to impress or, or something like that. You could put a plethora of different musical genres together on that mixtape. It was your own personal collection of favorite music. Anyone ever made a mixtape for someone? Just a handful of us made a mixtape. Mixtapes are awesome. And so over the upcoming weeks, we're going to take a different collection, a different genre, a different variety of songs. And each week, we'll take a look at a song. It may not even be a Christian song, but we'll tie it in to the theme of Christ. We'll go back as far as 1965. We're going to go ahead uh, really to just even a few weeks ago with some of our musical selections. We're going to have some Guns N' Roses. We're going to have some U2, some other songs that might be somewhat new to some of us or some of you, but it's going to be a, a walk down musical memory lane. Our first song this morning takes us back to the year 1991, that Seattle grunge band Nirvana. The song is called Come As You Are. That leads into our scripture this morning, a powerful invitation from Jesus himself. Matthew 11 Verses 28, 29, and 30. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Will you pray with me? Most gracious God, we thank you for drawing each of us here this morning. May we open up our hearts and our minds and our spirits to what it is to, to hear from you this morning. May every word out of my mouth, Lord, glorify you. And may we embrace the challenges that you have set before us. May we respond to the ways in which you have called us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I sadly remember it like it was yesterday. I was in the seventh grade at Tapp Middle School in Powder Springs, Georgia, southwest Cobb County. It was seventh period. It was almost time to go home for the day. There was a little bit of excitement in Miss McCormick's math class on that Tuesday afternoon. I, I can still picture where I was sitting. I was in the front row. My good friend Byron was sitting right to my left, and Byron was so lucky. You see, his desk was right next to Susan's. Susan, she was the kind of girl who was mixtape worthy. She was the most beautiful girl, I thought, in the whole school. I had this huge crush on Susan for the entire semester. And on this particular day, this Tuesday, it was late in the semester, it was picture day. Now, mind you, not, not the day on which you had your pictures taken, but, but on the day in which you received your pictures, you know, you'd get that big envelope with all the pictures and, and you would cut them up and you would distribute them to your friends. People were swapping pictures and I had this brilliant idea that was just going to make my heart sing. I, I asked Byron if he would lean over, if he would ask Susan if I could have one of her pictures. 
just imagine what it would be like to have a picture of Susan. My gosh, this beautiful young woman. So I leaned over and asked Byron. Byron leaned over and he asked Susan, hey, Joe, have one of your pictures? And without missing a beat, Susan said, no. <laughs> I can still feel my little seventh grade heart breaking over that. Now, to make matters worse, Byron, he thought this was the funniest thing in the world. And he said, Susan said no and just started laughing. My little seventh grade heart was crushed. Maybe you're still carrying around some pain or, or some rejection from a boy or a girl or a wannabe group of friends or the rejection on which something maybe you had your heart settled. But Jesus in our scripture this morning is saying, you know what, I don't reject you. God doesn't reject us. In fact, God is actually sending us a once in a lifetime, a valuable, personal, eternal invitation that is still valid to you and to me. It's the complete antithesis of rejection. And many of us need to experience the freedom that Christ is offering in our scripture this morning. You see, Jesus was speaking to a group of people who primarily came from a Jewish background. It was becoming harder and harder for the everyday person to live a, a quote, religious life. They, 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 they weren't able to live out and experience the freedom that God wanted them to enjoy, the blessings that God wanted them to experience. Why is that? Well, well, partly it was geopolitical. The Roman Empire controlled Jerusalem and the outlying areas, and so a lot of what the Jewish people wanted to do was squelch. But a lot of it was really internal. A lot of it was religious. You see, the, the Jewish religious leaders, they had taken God's law, and they had expanded it, and they had tweaked it, and they had used it to burden the people. Let me explain Think about the Ten Commandments, for example. We, we often look at them as things that we want to do or don't do, so we, we want to keep on God's good side. We don't want to tick off God. But you see, the Ten Commandments were originally given to people who were away from their homeland. They were wandering in a strange place, encountering all sorts of strange things, things they had never experienced or witnessed before. And God wanted to keep his people holy and safe. And so the Ten Commandments to them was a sign of God's grace. Not, not something to beat them down, but a sign that God's presence was with them. A sign of God's grace. When our daughter, Grace Ann, was in first grade, she decided to play basketball on her school's first grade team. None of the girls had ever played before. If you've ever seen a first grade girls basketball game, may God bless your spirit. Oh, my goodness. They, they had no clue what was going on. They didn't know how to pass the ball. They were always double dribbling. They were walking and running around with the ball. And luckily, fortunately, the coaches taught them the rules of the game. That gave them the freedom to know how to play and to know what to do. Knowing the guidelines was a good thing for them. It gave them healthy parameters in which to play. So when God gives us a path of which way to go, it's a good thing. It's meant for our holiness. It's meant for our protection. A true faith in God leads to freedom and not to bondage. 
But that was the problem. The Jewish leaders were holding people in bondage. Jesus was addressing people who were living in a culture where the religious leaders took God's law and they made it cumbersome. They made it heavy. It weighed down on the people. In your life, what are those things that are weighing you down? How are you struggling? Is your life a mess? Is there unbelief? Are you feeling broken? Are you feeling angry or hurt or lonely or tired? Are you stuck in lies? Have you hit rock bottom? Because the good news is that regardless of where you are and what you're experiencing, Jesus is saying, come. Come as you are. In Matthew eleven twenty eight, come to me all who are weary. All who are burdened, and I will give you rest. The invitation that Jesus extends is not saying, okay, do what's right, and then God will love you. No, the invitation is, come to me on your own. There's always room for failure, but with me, Jesus, you can have rest. In your sin, in your disgrace, in your shame, in your brokenness, he has grace enough for you. You don't have to get better first. You don't have to pay the price yourself for we can't. It's okay to come as you are. God then loves you so much that he won't let you stay there. He invites you to come as you are and says, I'm going to have you then transformed as you need to be. It kind of drives me nuts as a, a pastor sometimes because in our culture, there's so much poor theology. The, the, the theology that says, okay, if you're a, a good little Christian, then you're not going to do this and you will do that. Or if you're a good little Christian, you'll vote this way or, or you'll vote that way. If you clean up your life, God will accept you. Or, or, or if you do certain things, God will, will, will love you more. But that's so counter to what Jesus is telling us here. That's contrary to the gospel. John Wesley, the, the founder of the Methodist movement, he focused his ministry on grace. Grace is that unmerited, undeserved, yet freely offered love of God. You don't have to earn it. In fact, you can't. You can't obtain it. You can't attain it. It's freely offered by God. It's a free gift to those who stake their claim in Jesus. It's a gift of forgiveness, of redemption, a fresh start, a new beginning. Regardless of where you've been or what you've done, God has something in store for you, a place and a purpose with his story and your story coming together. And so Jesus was addressing the people of Jerusalem who were bogged down and weighed down by all of this externalism and legalism and the do's and the don'ts that the religious leaders were placing on them. Okay, now legalism is kind of when we talk about the proverbial letter of the Jewish law. There were so many different interpretations of the law that, that it was hard for people to know what they were doing and how to do it. And there was guilt and there was frustration and there was dissatisfaction. We, we often think of being religious, but here Jesus is saying, no, this isn't about being religious. Being religious is action on our part, but a faith in Christ is focusing on what Jesus has done. In fact, it's not about anything we can do. So, so think about it. We often look at religious as being religious as following rules and looking a certain way or acting a certain way. But the relig religious leaders at that time, they had placed a massive burden on 
the people. You have to do everything a certain way at a certain time. Like I said, we, we think of the Ten Commandments, but the religious leaders had interpreted all of those to the nth degree. Okay, Each rabbi would have his own interpretation of what each commandment would look like. For example, if uh, the, the Ten Commandments, if the Jewish scripture says, um, honor the Sabbath, what, what does that mean? Each rabbi would have his own interpretation, his own application. One rabbi might say, you have to remain at home on the Sabbath. But, but another rabbi might say, well, you, you can go to, to the edge of town, but you can't go into the other town. Or another rabbi might say, you can go over here and do this, but, but you can't do that. And so it was so hard for the people to know exactly what to do. The, the religious leaders who were su supposed to pronounce God's word had made it so hard. They literally took the Ten Commandments and they had a list of 365 things you couldn't do and 250 things you were called to do. And imagine trying to keep all of that straight in all of these different circumstances and contexts. God's word was meant to bring about freedom and liberty, but instead it was being used to weigh people down. It brought about oppression. So instead of bringing about a sense of relief, it heaped on more guilt and more shame and more failure. And so all of the rabbis had these own interpretations and applications, and they were referred to as the rabbi's yoke. Hear what Jesus says. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. No longer are you called to act or look religious by doing this or doing that or avoiding this. To the contrary, we're extended an invitation to walk with God, to walk with Jesus, and to know God, not just about God. I mean, this was and still is revolutionary stuff. The first song on our Chapel Roswell mixtape, like I said, takes us back to 1991, Come As You Are. It's not a Christian song. I mean, despite popular misconception, Jesus never uttered the phrase, come as you are. But his theology certainly demonstrated such a point. Let me take you to Luke 5, 29 through 32. There was a great banquet for Jesus at his house, at Levi's house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were gathering together, and they were eating with Jesus. But the Pharisees, the, the religious leaders, and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect, they complained to Jesus' disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but it's the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but for sinners to repent. God calls us to come as we are. He invites us to come in the midst of our hurting, in the midst of our anxiety and worry. He calls us to come in the midst of doubt or uncertainty. He calls us to come in the midst of our shame. He calls us to come even when we feel like an outcast, when it feels like we have failed. Under the Jewish law, it was easy to fail. Just try to remember all of those different interpretations of the law. It was such a burden. But come to me, Jesus says, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. How many of us this morning feel burdened or weary? Does the thought of rest come as a welcome relief? Because this is what Jesus is calling us to live out. 
My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Tony Campolo is a Christian preacher and teacher and scholar. And many years ago, he was on a speaking engagement in, of all places, Honolulu. What a good gig to get. At 3.30 in the morning, though, he was jet-lagged and he was wide awake and he was hungry. And as he was walking through the streets of downtown Honolulu, not in the touristy areas, but in downtown, he found a, a little greasy spoon, a, a little restaurant on a dark alleyway in a seedy part of the city. He says that the place was so grungy that he was afraid even to touch the menu. He ordered coffee and a donut, and as his tired body rested on a bar stool, in walked 10 or 11 prostitutes. Tony felt a little bit uncomfortable. The diner was so small, and they were all surrounding him, and he couldn't help but overhear their conversations. And one of them was this boisterous, scantily clad woman who turned to her friend and casually remarked, You know what? Tomorrow's my birthday. I'm going to be 39. Her friend dismissed her and said, why are you telling me this? What, do you want a party? Why do you have to put me down? Why do you have to be so mean? She said, I'm just telling you it's my birthday. Tony Campolo, surrounded by the prostitutes at 3.30 in the morning, felt a call to action. As the women started to file out, he turned to the man behind the counter. His name was Harry. And he asked if, if, if Harry knew the name of that woman whose birthday was tomorrow. And he said, yeah, that's Agnes, he grunted. She's in here every day, every night, the same time. Why do you want to know? Tony declared that maybe we could throw a birthday party for Agnes. A little smile crept over Harry's face. Beautiful. No one ever does anything for Agnes. Tony's mind started to be flooded with ideas and with cooperation from the, the small staff at this little sleazy diner. He would return at 2.30 the next morning with some decorations. The man working behind the counter said that he would even bake a cake. And so they were able to get the word out. And as they prepared for the surprise for Agnes, Tony recalled what it felt like to see every prostitute in Hawaii descend upon this party for Agnes. Like clockwork, at 3.30 on the dot, in rolled Agnes and her friends. And the crowd screamed, surprise! They started to sing happy birthday. Happy birthday to you. Birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Agnes. Happy birthday to you. Agnes was flabbergasted. She didn't know how to respond. Her knees buckled and it looked like she was just going to keel over. The burly bartender came out carrying this home-baked cake and Agnes lost it. She started to cry uncontrollably, tears of shock and joy. And as they started to cut the cake, Agnes wiped away some of the tears and she asked if she could keep the cake. Tony replied, well, it's your cake. You, you can do with it what you want. Agnes's eyes grew wider and she picked up the cake and she said, I want to go show my mother. I'll be right back. And she went out the front door. She picked it up like it was the holy grail and didn't want to drop it. And out the front door she went. 
No one knew what to say or what to do. They were there to celebrate Agnes and her birthday, but all of a sudden, Agnes was gone. There was an awkward, almost eerie moment of silence. Tony broke the, 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 the silence, and he said, maybe we could say a prayer for Agnes. People looked at him like he was crazy, but, but they politely bowed their heads. And he prayed for Agnes that she could experience healing from the awful thing that men had done to her, that God can make her new, that regardless of what she had done, Jesus can make her brand new and show her his love. When he wrapped up this short prayer, Harry looked at Tony almost with a sense of hostility and he said, hey, you never told me that you was a preacher. What kind of church do you belong to? It was one of those moments where just the right words came to Tony, and he replied that I belong to a church that throws birthday parties for prostitutes at 3.30 in the morning. And Harry thought for a moment and in a mocking way said, no, you don't because there's no church like that. If there was a church like that, I'd go to a church like that. Agnes was among the least and the last and the lost, and yet she was able to experience, maybe for the first time in her 39 years, that she was valued, that she was loved. Remember earlier when I told you about that seventh grade rejection, that seventh grade heartbreak? I asked Susan for a picture, and she said, no. Friends, are you tired? Are you burned out? Are you struggling with maybe some doubts? Are you angry? Are you hurting? Are, are you shackled by mistakes of the past? Because despite those things, God is not saying no to you. To the contrary, God through Jesus is extending the invitation to come be a part of something radical, something life transforming. There are situations that seem impossible to overcome, and yet Jesus makes a way. Scenarios in which we feel like the outcast or like Agnes or like the failure or like the seventh grade boy who's just told no by the girl on whom he has a crush. Maybe you feel defeated, but Christ came to bring about hope and joy and peace and a fresh start and a new beginning. It's not about what we can do for God. It's about what God has done and is still doing through Christ. As with any gift, it's simply ours to accept. The extended invita invitation of Jesus is, come, follow me, come as you are. But God, out of his amazing love, says, yeah, I want you to come as you are, but I love you so much that I don't want you to stay that way. The Bible promises us that once we start to follow Jesus, this transformation takes place. The scripture says that we're transformed into the likeness of Christ. There's a lot of healing, a lot of time, a lot of growth that goes into that transformation. It doesn't happen overnight, but it's a beautiful transformation in which we continue to be set free from those things that pull us back or drag us down or beat us up. And so I don't know where you are this morning, but I pray that you can come as you are. Author C.S. Lewis once wrote, God doesn't want something from us. He simply wants us. And he invites us to come as we are. Now, as our time together comes to a close this morning, 
We're going to wrap up doing something a little bit differently. You'll notice these various stations. We've got three stations up here. And on each station, you, you've got a, a blank CD, and you've got a bunch of Sharpie pens. And what we're going to ask you to do during our, our, our closing time together is simply come forward and write down the name. You don't have to write your name. Just write down the name of a song that, that somehow speaks to you. Maybe it's a favorite song. Maybe it's just a song that right now is humming and you're humming it in your mind. Maybe it's a song that, that describes you. Maybe it's a favorite song that takes you back. It could be any song. But we're going to put together a Chapel Roswell mixtape of our own in which we take the plethora of people here and the various songs, the various music, and, and put them together. And so in just a moment, we'll invite you to come as you are. Just take a CD and write something on it and just leave it there. But know that God is at work in your life. God loves you just as you are and just where you are. So much so that he's willing to take us in the midst of all that we have going on to cleanse us off, to transform us, and send us on as we need to be. Will you pray with me, friends? God, we thank you for the amazing love that you have for us. And despite our shortcomings or our doubts or our questions about our faith, you never turn your back on us. And in this moment of stillness and silence, we invite the Holy Spirit to work in our hearts to expose the things that, God, you, you want to bring about change to. That, God, you have bigger dreams and ambitions and goals than we ever could have for ourselves. And I pray that despite all of this, the, the, the distractions of the world or the ways in which we beat ourselves up, we can claim the truth that comes only from you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. We thank you, Lord.